0: And a good Saturday morning to you at 7.45. Time for another wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Winter won't leave us alone, Jack. God, it sure won't. <laughs> I thought I might take our minds off of snow and by talking a little bit about New Zealand. Well, let's do that. You know, uh, New Zealand is a very unique wine-growing area. You know, New Zealand is an isolated Part of the world, that's for sure. It's about a thousand miles from Australia, and it's been all by itself there for a long, long time. So we see, while they always had vineyards in New Zealand, uh, mainly to grow port and sherry and things like that, there was nothing really very commercial there. People grew them for themselves, etc. And uh, like much of the world, they had a prohibition mentality. Kind of after World War One, and that didn't get over till almost the beginning of World War Two, and uh, the country was all by itself and and relatively isolated. It was a hard place to get to, and travel was a long time in coming. However, the Second World War brought New Zealanders into Europe, etc., and they began to see how people had uh, wine was more a table beverage. You know, New Zealand people that grew wine were the Italian, Dalmatian, and French immigrants. The British that came there liked beer and whiskey, and they didn't much care for wine. So things changed, and eventually jet travel came along in the late 60s, early 70s, and made it affordable for almost anybody to jump on an airplane and see the rest of the world. And the New Zealand folks did that. So the the wine business in New Zealand really commercially didn't start until the 80s. And because of that very late start, even though the winemaking went back to colonial time, they did a lot of innovative things that weren't done in the rest of the world. They were the pioneers, of course, in screw-top openings and closures on wine versus cork. And we could do a whole story on that, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But they also were the first ones to use total stainless steel, etc. They had all of the modern technology when they started in the 80s of producing wine, and thus a huge edge over uh, more traditional parts of the world uh, in making wine, and making wine in the new manner that is now used almost all over the world. Sauvignon Blanc is the most popular grape type uh, from New Zealand, and I'm sure almost everybody listening to me has had a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. They're characterized by their crisp acidity, good fruit, nice balance. Uh, New Zealand just seems predestined to be a great place for uh, Sauvignon Blanc. And perhaps that's the reason that about 70% of the viticultural land in New Zealand is devoted to the grape type uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, you know, the first big commercial winery was one called. Montana—it's now Brancott Estate—and you can get Brancott New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc anywhere today. Uh, but it was the first Sauvignon Blanc exported in 1979, and people began to talk about it and take notice of it. This was a Sauvignon Blanc to think about. Now, mind you, that Sauvignon Blanc, as we've discussed in the past, my favorite Sauvignon Blanc happens to be Sancerre, which comes from the Loire Valley in France. And they've been producing Sauvignon Blanc, albeit calling it Sancerre, for a long, long time, hundreds and hundreds of years. But the New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc came and took the world by storm. And it was in the 80s (laughs) that a winery called Cloudy Bay uh, introduced their New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc at an international tasting. And two of the judges called it the world's best Sauvignon Blanc. Well, once that happened, uh, the floodgates opened up and everybody was interested in New Zealand wine. And, it, and it's been an amazing growth pattern. You know, and we forget New Zealand not only is a remote country, but a very small country. There are more people living in the state of Minnesota than live in all the whole country of New Zealand. Far less than 5 million people live in New Zealand. So you haven't got a big basis there, but the the wines they produce are really have taken the world by storm. Everybody emulates New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, and there's a good reason for it. As I said, when the wine trade calls uh, something like Cloudy Bay the finest Sauvignon Blanc made in the entire world, well, people sit up and take notice. And the uh, uh, climate and soil for in New Zealand is, as we all know, you know, they have uh, their harvest just finished in December, January. And uh, unlike us, you know, it's the exact opposite of our growing season uh, in New Zealand. But the wines they make are really, truly unique, and the production methods are unique. As I said, they set the stage for the whole rest of the world. And Australian companies moved in there, American companies, anybody in the wine trade went there to see What was going on? Because they were doing all the very latest things. They sent people to California to study at Davis uh, about viticulture. And believe me, they were serious students. And as I said, there's good reason. Sauvignon Blanc, 70% of the wine produced in New Zealand is Sauvignon Blanc. One of the problems I believe they have with the other varietals, the Chardonnay they make in New Zealand, is all kind of the same, pretty blah. Uh, They make a reasonably good... Pinot Gris, which overtook Riesling two years ago, as in the uh, number three category for uh, white wines, and they make a relatively good uh, Riesling and uh, Pinot Gris in New Zealand. The Chardonnays, I think, are, are the jury's out on that. But the red wines is uh, where they're starting to make inroads, and Pinot Noir is the second most planted wine type in New Zealand after Sauvignon Blanc. And they're making some delightful Pinot Noirs. Now, don't compare them to the wonderful Pinot Noirs you get from Burgundy or the fruity, full-bodied ones you're going to get from New Oregon or the Russian River Valley in California. They're a style unto themselves. They're light. They're fruity. They're very, very pleasant. And it's a good reason to try uh, New Zealand Pinot Noir. They're not terribly expensive. And uh, like I say, they have a place, in my opinion, because of their light, fruity characteristics, you aren't getting into a really big Pinot Noir with a lot of uh, taste of the earth and that type of thing. It's just fruity, forward, and quite frankly, delicious. Now, I said a little earlier, one of the other things they pioneered in uh, New Zealand, was screw taps, almost all of the wine, 90-some percent of the wine that's produced in New Zealand is screw top, so step aside cork. Well, the reason uh, screw caps got so very popular was uh, something called a cork, cork taint, and you'd say the bottle is corked. And what had happened is the corks in Portugal, which is a totally renewable natural resource for sealing up wines, because it comes, it's really your, it's the bark of the cork tree, and uh, they seem to have solved that problem with chemicals and treating the cork, etc. So you, it isn't as uh, rampant as it was. But in the mid 80s to the 90s, uh, even into the early 2000s, cork taint was a real problem in the wine industry. It, it's much less today, but the New Zealand folks decided to conquer that with screw caps. And one of my favorite stories is I was with Kim Crawford and his wife, uh, and we were tasting wine in New Zealand, and lo and behold, I we opened a bottle, and I said, this wine smells and tastes like the inside of a tin can, and thus was coined the word tinned. When the cork on the top of the screw cap goes askew, the wine is exposed to the metal on that uh, screw cap and the wine becomes tinned and uh, not only did we find one but two and of course Kim had told me not too long ago he's never tasted another one just those two with me but we did see two of them where the cork was slightly the little cork sealer was slightly askew on top of the screw cap but they've been pioneers in that and today you know, I think screw caps are very acceptable for young wines, uh, fast-maturing reds, et cetera. If you have a really great bottle line, and I'd say basically under $25, anything with a screw cap is just fine. Over 25 you might want a cork finish in it because corks have gotten better, et cetera. But the New Zealand folks pay little regard to that. They were pushing for and hoping for the fact that every wine out of New Zealand would have a screw cap. And again, as I said, they were pioneers in this, as they were in stainless steel fermentation. Uh, It's uh, just... A remarkable country. Not only is it remarkable in the wines they produce, it's a great place to visit. The Kiwis are about as hospitable as anybody you're ever going to meet anywhere in the world. And the country itself is just simply beautiful, whether you're going rafting or uh, looking at the seals in the ocean and all that other. There's so much stuff to do. I always remember that it was almost as cheap to take a helicopter in New Zealand as it was to rent a car. We took helicopters and went most of the places we had to go to because we needed to get there fast and get back. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. As I said, uh, the people are so friendly. The uh, environment is just beautiful and has fabulous ambiance. Until you've taken the helicopter and had a lunch on top of a glacier, you haven't really and with a little wine, of course, you haven't really experienced the joy of being in New Zealand. And I uh, cherish the couple of times I have been there. It's been a fabulous country to visit in more ways than one. And they're producing really remarkable wines. And don't forget, they're in the forefront for Sauvignon Blanc. So why not, if you take anything away from today... Why not try a New Zealand Pinot Noir? They have a place at the table, too. They're making better and better wines all the time in New Zealand. It's just amazing to me how far ahead of the curve they're able to stay there because it's such a new industry. Let's face it. It's under 50 years old in New Zealand commercial winery business, and that's new by any standards. Worldwide, believe me, boy! I tell you what—I was going to mention as soon as we chatted today that I just got uh, the, the brochure in the mail. Oh, the Haskell sale! Yes, absolutely—twenty-four pages of hundreds, no, thousands of wine bargains. It's absolutely incredible. It's a sale not to miss, and it's going on right now. Put on your snowshoes and wrap up and bundle up and go over to the nearest Haskell's and. Get up some wine to store in for the f- coming winter. <laughs> Anyhow, the folks at Haskell's love to talk about wine. They'll help you pick the right wine to go with almost anything. And they'll, best of all, save you big dollars on wine. And don't forget, you save if you buy by the case. So buy case stock up during the spring sale. Believe me, there's nothing like it in the Twin Cities. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars during our spring sale. Haskell's in Bloomington, Chanhassen. There's a Haskell's in downtown Excelsior. In Faribault, right off at of 35, you'll find the Haskell's, and our Maple Grove Supercellar is a store not to be missed. Downtown Minneapolis has free parking on Saturday and Sunday. Minnetonka at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. If you can't come into Haskell's, go to haskells.com or go to wcco.com slash wine. It'll take you right to the Haskell's website where you can peruse our 24-page spring catalog and really get some terrific bargains from the world of wine. And why not try Silver Beach Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand? It's pretty good, too. I'm gonna do that today. Well Jack, I hope when we talk next week it'll be spring. Let's hope I hope so too. I'm gonna look forward. All right. Thank you, Jack. Jack Farrell from Haskell.